All right, we are starting a new parable today in our series, uh, and this is going to be found in, in Luke, and I'm going to do a, a little bit of a preparatory uh, discussion about it first of all, but we're going to talk about that, and it's, it's, this is in Luke chapter 16. It's one of the more mysterious parables that Jesus will speak about. Uh, it's a disgraceful man. It's a story about an unscrupulous, evil, crooked steward. And Jesus will use this story uh, to teach his disciples how they are to live. And so uh, Jesus is effectively about to teach us uh, that we cannot trust in earthly treasures. He's made that very clear. Uh, He said that you cannot serve God and mammon, meaning what? You can't be in love with money. You can't be in love with your possessions. You can't be in love with your treasures. All those gifts that, that you may accrue in your lifetime, you can't be in love with them and serve God. You can't. You have to make a choice. You either put God first or you put these other things first in your life. And so scripture, you seek uh, emphatically condemns the love of money. Notice what I said, the love of money. It doesn't condemn having money. It doesn't condemn having affluence, but it condemns the love of money. And there we see in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierce themselves with many griefs. But you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. And when you pursue those things, then the money will fade, will fade from a priority in your life. And so you cannot be in love with money. You cannot put these things first. You have to, in every way, put the things of God first. And so in Luke chapter 16, Uh, Jesus tells a parable that both echoes and illustrates to us this admonition in a very unusual way. It is the story of a lying, cheating, unfaithful servant who was found out and put on notice that he will be fired. Uh, He then cunningly, shrewdly uses his master's wealth to buy friendships that will be useful for cushioning his fall from grace. Uh, And so, if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke 16, verse 1. Jesus told his disciples there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because... You cannot be my manager any longer. The manager said to himself, what shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. How about that? So he called in each one of his master's debtors. He asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 
900 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it 450. Then he asked the second, and how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill and make it 800. By the way, this is an amazing story. Jesus is telling him, all right? Jesus is telling this paragraph. The master commended, now listen to this. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. That's what Jesus said. The people of this world are more shrewd, are more cunning, uh, are, are more on top of it in advancing their own temporal interests than the people of the light. Than the people of the light. And so what a strange thing to praise someone about. Very unusual. This is one of the most enigmatic, you see, of all Jesus' parables. But this is no mistake. Jesus created this story. It's not a real story. Uh, and the main character of the story is not a religious man. Uh, the master is not a religious man. He's just a steward. But the main character, the steward himself, is a crook. He's a crook. There's no question that he's a crook. Uh, the story never reveals him in a positive light. His downfall started through fraud. Even before he came to be called on the carpet, he was a crook. Uh, he was wasting resources. The owner learns of the fraud and demands a full accounting. Now, the, the owner was a, a very wealthy guy, and so he would turn his business interests over to this guy. Uh, and so this guy took advantage of it. And so as he comes before the master, he knew he couldn't defend himself. He knew it was finished. He knew he was going to be fired. And so he creates a plan to divert significant resources for himself so that his future, you got that? So that his future would be good. That even as he lost his job, he would take care of his future. Uh, and, and what he would do is he would get people that owed large amounts of debts to the master and he would surreptitiously go to them and cut them a deal and then he would get paid uh, the differential. He'd get, he'd get a, a cut and then he knew that he had curried favor from these people so that when he lost his job, he would be able to go to people and they would take care of him. Uh, there is no nice way to put a spin on this behavior, all right? I can't, there's not a single nice thing that you can say about this behavior, but Jesus, you see, is using the behavior of a scoundrel, effectively, to make a point. And the point is this. The point is, look what people in this world who are not saved will do to advance their short-term temporal life. You're only going to live 5, 10, 15, 20 years. Look what they'll do. Look at the extent that we'll do. And you, sons and daughters of the light, you who will be preparing for eternity, what are you doing to advance the kingdom of God? How are you preparing for your own future? For your own future when you step onto the other side. Uh, and, and so this is, this is amazing because the steward here recognized, I can't beg. 
I can't dig. I don't have the, the physical ability to do this. So the only way that I can do it is to steal. And Jesus uses this uh, as an example to show how the mindset, the mindset of the unsaved uh, is, is so dark but so committed that we ought to have the same extent of commission for ourselves as we've advanced the kingdom of God. Uh, and so here you see this, this evil man who had a eureka moment. How was he going to dig himself out of this hole? Well, he still had the disposal at his means, meaning he had the disposal of the master's income and property, which, by the way, you do also, because everything you have is his. Remember that. Everything you have is his. And so, in effect, as we study this, you are the steward of God's property. Now, I know it's got your name on it. I know it's in your stock portfolio. I know it's in your house, but I want you to know how God looks at it. God looks at it as if you are only a temporary custodian. Wise up, okay? Wise up. It's not yours, but you are the steward of that, just like this guy was the steward of this of master's property. And so uh, this guy creates this fraud in order to accrue favor. He was embezzling. That's what he was doing. He was, and he was already fired for wasting resources. Uh, and so he had no conscience whatsoever. He would do anything to advance his own personal interest. Uh, and he had no legal authority to do what he did. And these were deep and costly discounts that he's giving. These, these discounts, according to theologians, were worth a massive fortune, uh, buying enough favor to last a lifetime. Now here's where the story takes a shocking turn. Here, the master commends the steward because he had, quote, dealt shrewdly. Uh, the rich man in this story is not a figure for Christ. This is strictly a secular business story. And Jesus tells this story in a strictly secular business environment. Notice how the language in the text is very specific. It is not the villainy, it is not the villainy that the master admires. He does not applaud the lack of honor. Rather, he commends the man's forward-looking ingenuity. Forward-looking ingenuity to concoct such a scheme. Uh, the master commended him because he had dealt shrewdly. Luke 16, verse 8. So the sheer cleverness of the scheme was admired by the master. Uh, and it was a very ingenious plan, manipulated by this crook, uh, who had won the friendships of many people by dealing shrewdly. Now Jesus states his whole point. And here, Jesus says here in this passage, the sons of the world are more shrewd in their generation than the sons of the light. The sons of this world are more shrewd in this generation than the sons of the light. Meaning what? Think about all the things that God would have you do to advance the kingdom of God with the possessions that you have. You are a steward of what God has given you. 
Are you advancing the kingdom of God in your stewardship? Are you acting in the same way, with the same mindset, with the same forcibility as this crook? But are you doing it for the kingdom of God? Because Jesus has given you the resources. Jesus says, here's the key. You have my approval and authority to do everything that you would with my resources. Do with it uh, as, as you choose. Uh, and, and so you see this. Uh, and, and sinners will do anything for a few years. They'll do anything for a few years. And what do we do? Because we're dealing with eternity. Do we think like this? Do we advance the kingdom of God? Uh, ungodly people bring amazing energy uh, and skill and focus uh, to the tracks of acquiring earthly wealth for a few lousy years of life on this puny planet. And what do we do? And what do we do? How do we advance the kingdom of God? This is all these people have to look forward to. So they live to be 90, even 100, uh, and they'll go to any length to secure that financial security. And yet God says to us, what do we do? What's our mindset? How do we act? Uh, and so the worldliness and lack of scruples is not what Jesus is commending here. That's not the point. Uh, but surely the sons of light ought to be more active, more zealous, more mindful about redeeming the time and preparing for our future and eternity as we lay up treasure in heaven. Based on this, Jesus will make three key points of wisdom. And let me say this. Uh, one of the things that this story brings home to me, and it's, it's a discussion that I had with my brother Ralph, uh, who has, has written on this subject, uh, on the subject of capitalism, that God gave capitalism to this world. You understand this? It's not a sin to be a capitalist. God gave you the ability to be a capitalist, but it's a sin if at the end of the day when you use the fruits of capitalism for yourself. Is it all about bigger boats, bigger houses, more vacations, or instead do you take the gift that God gave of capitalism, the ability to engender more income, do you do it to accrue to yourself or do you accrue it for God? That's an important subject. That's what I mean. That's what Jesus is talking about, about a creativity and zeal. This is what this is about. And so there's several lessons that Jesus drills home on this. Lesson one, money is a resource to be used for the good of others. Money is a resource to be used for the good of others. Now, Jesus insets, uh, inserts the word of advice for his disciples in uh, Luke 16, verse 9. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. All right? That's Luke 16, verse 9. Use wealth to take care of those who need to be taken care of. Use wealth to advance the kingdom of God because you are sending that wealth onto eternity. Onto eternity. And so many of us have lost insight into this uh, as, as we basically just huddle together and, and you know, look at our, our possessions as our possessions. It's not your possessions. How much more can I say to you that you think you own it, but you don't own it? 
Because here's the bottom line. Here's what happens when you die. You're going like this all life. Your life, oh, it's mine, it's mine, and mine. And then here's what you do on your deathbed. Whoa! It's gone! Am I right? It's gone! It's all gone. I don't care how many trusts you set up. It's gone. Well, you had the chance to do something with it. Did you do it? Did you advance the kingdom of God? Did you do it? And Jesus really doesn't pull any shots here. He makes it very clear. Um, this underscores our responsibility to advance the kingdom of God. Here's the question for you. Will people be standing on the edge of glory when you get on the other side? Will they be standing there eager to embrace you and thank you for what you did for the kingdom of God? Oh, I hope so. Because that's the image I see to welcome you into heaven, to thank you for what you did on the stewardship of God's property. Let's not forget it. God's property. Not yours. God's property. The unjust steward was liberal, you see, with his master's money in an unethical way. He was a crook. His actions, though, though crooked, won him friends in this world. Uh, and he secured his future in this world. Jesus is reminding us that we are stewards too. And the stewardship is God's property. God's property. And so Jesus is saying, what are you doing with God's property? How are you advancing the kingdom of God? God has given you the key to the property he has given you. How are you handling it? He's using it to juxtapose it against this crook. Uh, and, and so if, if the reprobate uses uh, the uh, ill gains to advance his friendships in this world, Jesus said, I want you to use the property of the master, God himself, to advance the kingdom of God. That's what he wants. This is what he wants. I want you to make friends for eternity, to advance the kingdom of God. This is a lesson that we have to drive home every day of our lives. And I would say as I look in this crowd, which tends to be on the older side, not that there's anything wrong with that, uh, this is a lesson that needs to be driven home with your children. And maybe you didn't do it with your children, but maybe you ought to do it with your grandchildren. And this was a lesson that my parents drove home to us from the time we were like six or seven years old. If we got a dollar, if somebody gave us a dollar for our birthday, we were to take 10 cents out of the dollar and put it in a box. We did it religiously. It didn't matter. Anything that came in that we got as a gift, we would take 10% out and put it in a box for God's work, for his work. And so what does that do? It takes the poison out of the money. Do you understand what I mean? Now as you're a kid, you're, you're recognizing, oh, it's not just me being a money grabber and hoping on it, that God is partnering with me. And what I saw in my own life is the more that I gave, the more God brought into me. I couldn't outgive God. Then I'll tell you another story uh, on this issue. Linda and I were newly married, married only a couple years, uh, and we had put all our tithe money uh, in a desk drawer 
uh, and we were scrupulous about putting our tithe money in a dress store. Well, guess what? We went out to church, and our house was robbed. How's that for evil? We're in church on Friday night, and at that time, the town we lived in had just been denominated the safest city in America. <laughs> I wish I could make this up. Nutley, New Jersey, the safest city in America. We come home on a Friday night after church, and the house is ransacked, ransacked. We even had a new puppy, uh, and luckily the puppy ran upstairs and couldn't come down, so we, he didn't get lost. But the house was ransacked to such a condition that even the ceiling light fixtures were taken down. But guess what? They never found the tithe money in the desk drawer. That was a message to me. That's God's property. You understand? That's God's property. And that's how you have to think. You understand? And this is how you have to educate your grandchildren and your children. And you have to inculcate them into their lives because otherwise money and possessions becomes poisonous. Because all you wind up doing for the rest of your life is grabbing and grabbing and grabbing and grabbing. For what? On your deathbed? Boom, it's gone. It's gone. It's gone. My dad used to say, you'll never see an armored truck in a funeral procession. You know? I mean, that's the bottom line. That's the bottom line. And so you, you see this, and it's, it's, it's so true. This is every believer's duty, every believer's duty to invest for the kingdom of God, for eternity in every way. You know, and I always, I, you know, I always tell you about people coming to me and asking me if they tithe on the net or on the gross, and somebody made a good point to me last week and said, it's your choice. He can either bless the net or the gross. Uh, and I think that's so true. Because here's what you're going to find. No matter what you do for the kingdom of God, he will bring it back multiple times for you. Can I get an amen on that? Look, you people have grown up. You understand this. You know what it means. All right? Uh, this is what it means. This is what it means to advance the kingdom of God. Uh, and so we need to be aware of it. This is Jesus drawing this lesson home. Wow, lesson number two from the Lord found in Luke 16, verse 10, that everything we have belongs to him. Everything we have belongs to him, and we should always think of ourselves as stewards. Luke 16, verse 10, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much, and whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. I mean, don't you think that God is testing you as you go through life to see how, in fact, you live with the blessings of God? Have you thought about that? That God looks at you and sees your life and sees if you're a miser or if all you're interested is in uh, advancing your own position or if, in fact, you have given yourself to the kingdom of God and will he bless you more? Yes, he will bless you more. Yes, he will give you more. Now, look, I'm not a prosperity preacher. I don't believe in that. We don't bargain with God, all right? We don't bargain with God. I had a, a driver for many years, a very nice man who was driving, would drive me from the airports, uh, and I knew that he didn't have 10 cents to his name, and he picked me up one day, and he said, oh, 
Uh, I, I'm expecting to get a new car. I said, you're expecting to get a new car? Well, yeah, I, I went on TV with one of those televangelists, and I sent him $500, and he said I would get a new car. How sad. You understand? How sad that these people take advantage of people. You don't bargain with God. You don't say, here's a buck, God. When can I get my 10 bucks back? God doesn't act like that, all right? We serve God. It's his property. We're stewards, and in love, he returns what he believes we should have. And let me say this. This is another lesson from my father. My father's prayer was, Lord, make me neither rich nor poor. Make me neither rich nor poor. And you know why he would say that? Because he said to me, you know what, John? If I were a rich man, I don't know if I would be serving God the way I'm serving God. If I were a rich man, I might be tempted. Maybe I'd want a boat. Maybe I'd want to be on more vacations. Would I be thinking about preaching on a regular basis? You see, God knows that. He knows that. And he sees your heart. And so this is the extent of the commitment that you can see. So God looks at how you are trustworthy in what he has given you. Truly faithful people are generous because of their character, because they're sold out to God. They're sold out. That's how generosity works. Lots of people who have everything give nothing. And I'm sorry that I I know people like this. I know a man uh, very well, who I've been in business with for many, many years, who's worth about $100 million. Uh, and this is a man who gives absolutely nothing to the kingdom of God. And he's got a firsthand view of what I'm doing and what, what the commitment of my life is. And trust me, I have spoken to him, but it's like speaking to a wall. So what do you think God does in things like that? What do you think? You think you're going to get away with it? You're going to leave this world? Let me tell you something. The end isn't going to be good. Because if you're that in love with possessions, let me tell you something. The end isn't going to be good. God has a way of writing all these stories. Uh, And so much money. If you're thinking, oh, God, I wish you would give me more money. If you gave me more money, I'd give more back to you. Wrong answer. No, you see, it's like this. When you were a kid, if you gave 10 cents out of your dollar, God would know that when you were older you would do the same thing. And now that you're older and you're not doing it, God sees your heart. Why should God trust you with more when in fact you haven't done anything with the less? And so we have to have a proper attitude as stewards. Look, this isn't John Garippa writing this stuff. This is Jesus Christ, all right? Uh, And look, I'm somewhat uncomfortable talking about subjects like this because I don't want you to think that I'm panhandling for dollars. That's the last thing in the world I'm doing, all right? That's the last thing in the world. You know that I've committed myself to God years ago and I promised my church that I've made a commitment to the Lord that I will never take a dollar of income for being pastor of the Naples Gathering Church. Never. That was my promise to God when he called me to do this. Now, I don't expect others to live like that. That's my promise. That's my commitment. That's how I live. But each one of us has to live in the same way. And so I believe I'm investing in eternity. 
And I want you to understand that God wants you to invest in eternity. And so that's, you, you see a great psalm, Psalm 104, verse 24, which speaks about this. It says, how many are your works, Lord? In wisdom, you made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. It's all his. Every single one of you in this room has been created by God. All of your houses have been given to you by God. You are in Naples, Florida, because God gave you the opportunity to be in Naples, Florida. And I don't care if you're in a cottage or living in a mansion on the oceanfront, it's all his. Amen? Now, what we do with our money, what we do with our money also reveals the true state of our heart. Uh, and that was another thing my dad used to say. He would say, you could truly tell if a man is saved by the condition of his wallet. His wallet. How he spends his money. That's the nature of salvation, you see. Words are cheap. How are you living? How are you living? So if you have not been trustworthy, if you have not been trustworthy, uh, uh, Luke 16, verse 11, this is Jesus. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? How about that? That's Jesus. If you can't handle worldly wealth, why would God entrust spiritual riches to you? It's a, a test. It's a test. And so those who are not investing in the kingdom of God are shirking their duty as faithful stewards, according to Jesus Christ, impoverishing themselves in eternity. Impoverishing themselves in eternity. God does not reward people who are frittering away his resources. Let's talk about that. Frittering away our resources. To spend money on unnecessary luxuries. And look, look. This isn't between you and me. This is between you and God, all right? I don't want you to have to confess to me on what your luxuries are, all right? Because God wants you to have fun. He wants you to have things that, that you've worked hard for. But if you are consumed with boats and houses and vacations uh, and every trapping of wealth, then you have fallen far short of the mark. What are you in love with? Are you in love with that or are you in love with Jesus Christ? It's that simple. It's that simple. Uh, and so you are robbing God and robbing yourself of eternal riches. Now, verse 12 adds another stinging indictment. And there it says, And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? This is Jesus speaking. You're not trustworthy with, with your property. Why would God give him your, his property for you to manage? It's not going to happen. And so many of us wonder why we seem, we seem not to be advancing in the kingdom of God. Uh, it's when we recognize that we don't own anything as a permanent possession. I thank God that I had a father and mother that drilled that down to me. I thank God because I was never, ever, ever obsessed with wealth. Look, let me tell you, the story of my life is pretty simple. I was born and raised in a very simple family. I lived my, my adult life until I was 18 years old. I slept in the kitchen. That's right. I slept 
in the kitchen. We lived in a two, in effectively a, a one-bedroom house. My sister had the bedroom. My parents slept in the dining room, and I slept in the kitchen. The only thing I wanted in life was to get out of the kitchen. <laughs> That's what I wanted. I wanted to get out of the kitchen. Do you think I wanted to embrace being a pastor? I wanted to be a minister? Are you kidding me? I want to get out of the kitchen. And I knew the only way I could get out of the kitchen was basically to go to law school. Because that would be how I got out of the kitchen. And God allowed me to have that. God allowed me to have that. But then at a certain time in life, when I got to be 50 years old, the curtain came down. Boom. And that part of my life was over. And now it's a different kind of life. But I was never obsessed with money. I was never obsessed, and I thank my parents for drilling that lesson home to me at an early age, that everything that I had was from God, and God deserved, he deserved that part of what I had. Look, don't spend your life in self-indulgence. Don't spend your life in self-indulgence. And I know you're looking at me, and you say, wait a minute, I worked my whole life, John. I'm 80 years old. How many more good years do I have? I want to travel the world. I want a bigger house. Look, God wants you to have those things. He wants you to go on vacation. He wants you to enjoy yourself, but put them in their proper priority. He comes first. All right? He comes first. I laugh because I see people I know are good people. And then all of a sudden, I won't see them for a couple months. Where are I? Well, we were traveling. We were traveling all over Europe, all over the world. We were doing this. And it's like, gosh, he drops down. Yeah, I love God, but I really need these things in my life. Well, you want to know what's going to happen when you're a Christian? God will take some of that stuff away from you if it's a trapping to your heart. He'll take that away from you if that's, what, if that's what's an obstruction in your heart. Lesson number three from Jesus. From Jesus. Do not let money usurp the place of God in your heart. This is the final exhortation out of this parable. Uh, the first one in Luke verse 9, 16, 9, emphasized our duty to use earthly resources for ministry to others. In verses 10 to 12, Jesus or urges us to examine ourselves and our heart. And now the final exhortation focuses our heart on God. Luke 16, verse 13. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. Abraham Lincoln cited this during the Civil War. You cannot serve two masters. It's impossible. You either love God and put money and possessions in its place, or you love possessions and you've put God in the second place. You cannot serve both God and money. And let me say this. It goes back to the first commandment, doesn't it? Thou shalt have no other God but me. Thou shalt have no other God and I know what you're thinking right now. You're thinking, well, I, I know. I know there's only one God. No, no, no. There's like a thousand little G's. Am I right? A thousand little G's. I know you don't have it on your dashboard. Okay? But they're all over the place. Oh, I like vacations. 
I like my house. I like a boat. Oh, my family's important. I want to do this. I want to do that. All these little G's, all these little G's all over your life. Thou shalt have no other God but me. That's the essence of what it's about. You cannot serve both God and mammon. You can't, lo- you can't be in love with this. God has made you a steward. Look, when you signed on for salvation and God saved you for eternity and sealed you with the Holy Spirit, part of the bargain was this. You are now a steward of whatever he gave you. Look, the lost world is not in a stewardship relationship with God. They are not, but you are. You are because he saved you. And so understand this. He saved you and he's made you a steward of everything you have. And so stewardship with God's resources is a full-time, all-consuming obligation. Every moment of the day, you need to reflect on this. You need to think about this. It is not a part-time obligation. Uh, In biblical terms, a steward is a slave. We are slaves to Christ Jesus. We are slaves to Christ Jesus. He purchased us. Do you understand that? You understand what it means to be purchased? He's given you eternal life so that you will be together forever with your Christian family. But it's not free, really. Yes, it's free. You didn't do anything to get it, but he expects responsibility from us. He respects, expects us to be stewards, to show the world what it means. And this is what I mean, so that the world looks at you, your neighbors look at you, and they see a person who is generous and loving and, and goes out of his way to advance the kingdom of God, that he's not a miser looking to hold on to every dollar he ever earned, but instead he recognizes, recognizes that this is the responsibility. Listen, I started by saying capitalism was a gift from the Lord. The ability to leverage money and to let it grow. To let it grow in such a way that it advances the interests of other people. That's what this is about, understanding what it means. God gave you an intellect. Use that intellect to help grow the resources that he gave you to advance the kingdom of God in every way. That's what God expects from us. He has exclusive an absolute control over us by divine right. We cannot have a relationship with anyone else or anything else. No slave can serve two masters. Thou shalt have no other God but me. Let's close. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, I thank you, Lord, that you have given us this great parable, even though it may have been difficult to understand. But I pray, Lord, through the Holy Spirit that it resonates in our heart and that we leave here committed to serving you, committed to being a steward for all the things that you've given us. Lord, I pray that we leave here recognizing that whatever we have, whatever we will have, you have given it to us 
that we are only part-time caretakers, that we don't own anything permanently but just hold on to it for a short period of time, and that our responsibility is to advance the kingdom of God. We love you, Father. We have no other God by, but you. We put you first in our life. I pray that this message grows and resonates in our heart. Be with our people. Let them be safe and bring them back safely next week to continue the study of your word as we put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. God bless you all.